Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, you find me flower arranging. That's what I'm doing as I'm talking to you. So here's my thing. I love to get really small vases. They're called bud vases, B-U-D, little ceramic ones. Um, and I love them because what you can do is you can just make your flowers go further. So if you get some flowers, you just do a bud vase and you can fill a little bud vase with like six or seven tiny little flowers. It's like a whole arrangement. So you can do it very cost effectively and it just looks cute as well. Um, so I've got lots of little bud vases that I get from ceramic places on eBay. And I, um, I've got lots of sedum in the garden. Now I didn't know what sedum was, but now I do. Sort of very pretty green thing that turns into like little pink flowers and then I went to the florist and I got other things to sort of top it up with so there's a bit more variety so I'll send you some pictures I cannot remember the name of this flower but I love it it's my favorite and I've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten sort of ten vases on the go here and um plenty of flowers to go in them and it's good for the soul isn't it it sort of actually looks quite summery but these are all slightly wintry flowers i've been getting into winter flowers to try and um liven up these autumn months and i didn't realize but there are tons of flowers that flower over winter hellebores did you know that um and then do you know what else i've been doing i've been making a crumble uh, I've made a crumble. Also, sorry, back to the flowers. I buy ones that are, they're called Sweet Williams. And they actually, I think that's kind of dried when you get them, or they just dry themselves. So it means they last forever. I seem to recall talking about this on the podcast before. Um, anyway, so I've got some Sweet Williams in here. Um, and I've made a crumble, um, which for anyone who doesn't make apple crumble, turns out it's literally the easiest thing in the world to make um took literally five seconds it's just sugar and flour and some apples and then my husband's pit he's planting in the garden so i'm in trouble because 
I did a bit of planting. And what he does is he puts loads of gravel in every plant that he puts. He puts gravel, compost, bone meal, fertilizer. Now I have to keep my voice down because he's right outside the window. I'm perhaps a little bit more hurried in my fashion and I didn't put gravel or fertilizer or bone meal, um, gravel or fertilizer or bone meal in this pot of heather that I made. I made a pot of heather, which is also winter color, you see, and it goes outside the kitchen window. And I look at it and I go, it, everything's all right. That's why it's there. <clears throat> anyway, he has um, unfortunately found me out because he just watered it and came straight in here and said, did you put gravel in the bottom of that thing? Because apparently it's not draining. So um, I've done what any self-respecting person would do. And I've gone hard on deny, deny, deny. Anyway, this is a lovely episode of Homo Sapiens today. We've got Strictly X, Strictly Judge, Korog for To The Stars, Arlene Phillips on the show. I'm going to go outside while I'm telling you this. I'm going to go and get some more sedum. Um, so Arlene has an amazing story. Um, if anyone Has anyone been watching Strictly this year? So she was the original judge who was very unceremoniously fired from the show. Um, and everyone said it was because she was too old. She was being judged by the BBC for being too old. BBC denied that. Um, but that's what, that's what people said. That's all I'm saying. And the reason she was a judge on Strictly is because her career is stellar. She did, and she's just this really interesting part of sort of central to so much of queer history because she worked in New York. She worked with Queen, she worked with Elton John, she worked with um, Whitney Houston, um, to name but a few, choreographing their iconic videos. And she is one of those people who came from nothing, you know, and just turned it into the stellar career she's had. So we talk all about those early years, what that was like. We talk. We have a right old deep dive on Strictly. We have a right deep dive on why she was sacked. And, and then we hear all about when she was choreographing the Village People movie. Yes, because that's her life. How HIV and AIDS started to sweep through her industry and dancers and, you know, how it ravaged every corner of her life and she speaks very, very beautifully about dealing with those really difficult times and the amount of friends that she lost and stuff. So this is a really amazing chat, actually. And that is what's coming up. Now, what have I got to tell you prior to that? Last week, <coughs> we did an episode which was sort of an instruction manual on how to help someone who's coming out. Thank you for all of those lovely messages that you've sent. And thank you all for sharing it so much. I saw lots of you shared it on socials. So um, hopefully, you know, it will be a moment in time, that episode, but it will also continue to do good beyond, which I rather like as an idea. 
and we can keep updating it, you know, and we can do more and we can do different ones and, you know, whatever you guys want, we will do. Tell us what you thought of it. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com at homosapiens on Instagram. Let's go have a look at some emails. Speaking of which, re last week's episode. Lorraine said, as a parent of a gay child, I wish there were more forums for us to share how we feel when it happens, support around what to say and what not to say. Parents react differently and also dads react differently to mums and it's something I wish I had access to. Well, Lorraine, look no further. It was no surprise in our case, but I believe that there is still a period of adjustment emotionally that you experience as a parent. Well, Lorraine, hopefully this episode will be that. We've also been asking what your ideal dinner party is on socials because listen to the Paddy O'Connell episode. You guys all wrote in. Early dinner and bed by 10... 79% of you said. 21% of you you said your ideal is a late one. Okay, so hang on a second. I would say, God, I thought there'd be way more of you would be ravers. I mean, I'm a late one, sorry. Early dinner and bed by by 10. I'm just going to go. And then we asked, advice for getting rid of your party guests when it's home time. Have too much to drink and fall asleep on the sofa, they'll leave, says Craig. James says, shut off the lights. James, no no mucking about with you. Mr. Gate Island says, stop refilling drinks, start turning off lights. You lot are savage. P. Burns says, be direct, it's the only way. And just, what, what beautifully well-rounded people you all are. Okay, guys, thank you for a lovely evening, but it's time I need to go to my bed, says Pete. Take your clothes off and put your PJs on. Well, there's gonna be a brief moment where everyone's a little confused, no? Isaac says, tell them to get their coats and that you need to clean up and sleep. Corey says, start making plans about when you're next going to meet up. Now that I like. That's a, that's a good one. What are you up to this week? I always say that. I think that's a good one. So what are you up to this week? I think that's a good way to say like, okay, so we're done. Or, or notice when people start saying that, that's when they're trying to get rid of you. Rob says, tell them you've enjoyed their company, but party prep and host duties are tiring and you're tired. Ark says, can you help me clean up? I mean, I love that. Be honest, says Hirsch. Be honest, just say, guys, school day tomorrow, I need my beauty sleep. I love you all, now piss off. Tell them to fuck off. Stop offering alcohol and mention your plans for the next day. I mean, you lot, I'm, when I am eventually invited round to dinner, I'm not going to be in any under any illusions of when it's time to go. I, can, I seem to have been assured of that. Um, my grandfather would always say, would you like a t- cup of tea before you go? About 15 minutes before he wanted them out the door. I love that, putting before you go on the end of the sentence. Just a little whoop, just a little, there you go. Get the picture. Great, all of you, wonderful. Who knew the Homo sapiens family was so goddamn savage when it comes to getting rid of people. Um, now, let's go have a chat with Arlene. She's wonderful. You're all wonderful. This is going to be what a great combo. Here we go. Arlene, how the hell are you? I'm absolutely awesome at the moment. I know, despite my age, despite <laughs> everything that's been going on in life and to the world, I'm really yeah. okay. Oh, well, that's so lovely to hear. And do you know what? You mentioned your age, not I, but I will say what's really interesting is, you know, believe it or not, I was doing a bit of research for this chat. And when I typed in Arlene Phillips into Google, Mm -hmm. it completed my sentence with your age. And 
it I've never had that with anyone before. It didn't like people are obviously obsessed with your age. Obsessed. And what is really, really <laughs> weird is actually yeah. at the time when I they didn't keep me on strictly, I'll put it like that. There wasn't yeah. a newspaper or magazine or talk show or news report that didn't always say my name. I think I was around 64 at the time. I can't even remember. 64, 65. So your age. And my, na- my age has forever been attached to my name. So I'm not surprised that when you typed in Arlene Phillips, it came up with my age. Dare I ask the question, why? I have no idea because prior to to my actually being let go from Strictly, no, I don't mm. think that people were conscious or thought about my age. But I think because there was then this huge uproar, um, have they let me go because I'm an older woman, it attached that mm. thought to me and it attached that thought to people recognising me for my age. And, mm. and it's been there ever and since. When you were not rebooked for Strictly, mm. should I say? Yeah. Was it Harriet Harman brought it up in the House of Commons? Yes, and, yes, she did. She did. She was furious. And the women's party that they had at the time were all very angry at the BBC and what they felt was a stance on older women, although mm. that, of course, was never directly attributed it was discussed as they needed to refresh the brand and there were no mm. questions about my age, you know, other than that was the reason they needed to change one of the panel. Now there's a bit of clear blue water between you and that. Has anyone ever told you a better reason? There was one sort of answer, which was that everybody else had a certain way of speaking that attached a certain style to who they were. Craig was always the angry one. No one was good enough. Len made fun of everyone and Bruno was wild. And that I had sometimes, I was a school teacher, sometimes I was loving giving, sometimes I was sarcastic. I had nothing attached to me that they could recognise me by. Uh, It was a sort of a discussion that was had as a miserable excuse, I would say. That is a miserable excuse because, one, you were an amazing judge and, you know, you were the only woman there at the time. So this is probably a bit reductive of me to say, but there was a maternal energy to it. And also... And I don't want to criticise Alicia Dixon, who replaced you, because she had nothing to do with the decision. But mm. did she come in with a stronger voice? I don't think she did, you know, nor did she need to. No, I think a, a female voice was definitely missing. And she replaced that teenage voice, I would almost say, because she was very young and it was a different voice. But it was a female yeah. take. And I think there is definitely a need for a mix of voices always in whatever you're doing. We have become and have to become a far more open, uh, 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 openness in in panels. You Mm. know, it's important that there are all kinds of voices heard. Yeah, and do you feel like that was the atmosphere at the time 
when you were doing Strictly, for example, you know, how often was a TV show a guy, an older guy with a younger sidekick woman? And was that something that you felt at the time, you noticed at the time, was discussed? No, nothing nothing was ever discussed. I've always I've always been wanting openness within any work that I've done. So I was part of the time when ballroom and Latin were male and female and anything else mm. was sort of hidden. It was niche. All of those um, same-sex male ballroom Latin nights were all just sort of underground. And I was doing, with hot gossip, male on male, beautiful sensual, sexual party does, and equally with the, with the females. So my whole mm. look on everything, indeed my attitude on Strictly, was very much that they need to step out of that safe water of all male and all female. And five years ago, I made a piece for Strictly um, uh, with Canduco, the company of dancers of non-disabled and disabled artists. And when I did that piece set to David Bowie's Life on Mars, I had both female couples and male couples within that dance piece. And I was absolutely adamant that we had that on this piece because when I work with dance companies, there is a very much certainly in contemporary dance companies, a very open open voice and an absolute love of same-sex partners, but without even thinking about it. It's mm. what is the story, and you enact that story. So bringing it to Strictly, I was determined that working with that company was what I would do, and therefore when we bonded together with the Strictly dancers... I wanted to put those offerings to them and they were really keen and, and really excited to to face those challenges. That's great. So uh, for me, it's always been about all ages, all sexualities, all combined in this world of dance. Doesn't It doesn't matter. No. And, and did you ever have those? Because I know you were, you have been a long time you know, like you've just said, you were, you've been a long time uh, advocate of like same sex couples and things. But did you ever have those conversations when you were first on Strictly? No, towards towards the end of my time there, I did bring it up, but they were not ready to do it yet. Mm. I guess they were waiting for a time, and now it's it's part of Strictly. It's um, it's embedded. In there. Mm. Later in the day, I think, than it could have been. But nevertheless, they do now accept. And the public are very open and, and enjoying those partnerships, which I'm pleased to see. It's wonderful to see. And I think it's entertainment and it's all make believe and it's magic. And that's why it's the most beautiful job to have. Mm. So when people get hot under the collar about certain things, you go, what you know is it true you turned down strictly and is it true that nobody wanted to do strictly when it was first ever suggested when it was first suggested i did turn it down and really um, yeah because i thought of myself as a choreographer 
And Mm -hmm. then I didn't think of myself as a judge, but they were really, really keen for me to go in and do the pilot. And my agent said, just go and do the pilot. It's one afternoon. It's a Saturday afternoon. Go and do it. If you don't like it, you can always say no, and they may not like you. So my agent, um, wonderful Michael Somerton, who was the most extraordinary manager and agent, um, really, truly wonderful and completely out there in a big way. I, you know, it was, it was glorious. And he pushed me to do it. So I arrived mm. at the BBC and was met with, can I say, chaos. There were a mix really? of dancers, some of the pros that we now know, you know, Anton and Brendan were there, and some musical theatre dancers who were going to play the celebs, but they could dance, but they didn't know Bourne and Latin. And a few mm. celebs who actually appeared in the show. It was like this big mix and everyone was running around. No one quite knew what to do or how they were going to start. And then I was asked to go into this room and sit at, the t- at a table. And next to me was Len Goodman and another dancer choreographer. And we were all at this big table And we were told they were going to have people dance and could we tell the the dancers what we think? And it was, nobody knew who to dance with. It It was the most wonderfully chaotic afternoon in a studio. Len, talk about grumpy, he was actually, <laughs> it was his girlfriend now um, and then wife, her birthday. And he was only there. He didn't want to come. And I said, well, I don't want to come, Len. You know, I, I wasn't really up for this. He said, you know, what's this for a game of soldiers? What What's going on? And he was getting grumpier and grum- grumpier. And Len, when it came to the judging, well, it was his Len thing. He did it, you know, absolutely right from the start and so I got into the way of doing it and then they thought that I should be a little more severe think of you know think more school mom so I put on my best teaching school mom but eventually watching certain couples I'd give in and you know kind of just stand up and say listen if you did more of this and it was a very long afternoon very very long And at the last minute before we left, Len said, are you going to to do this? I said, I have no idea. I have no idea how they're going to turn this into a TV show. And they'd had us sort of shout the number you would give them. We didn't have paddles at at that time. And he said, and then Len turned to me. I said, I don't know. I'll think about it. And he said... Well, let's get in touch. If they come to you and they say yes, and they come to me and they say yes, let's talk about it first. And if they say no, well, Uh. we're out of it anyway. And so we had this whole conversation and we did stay in touch. But the funny thing Uh. was they let Len and I know we were going to be on the panel, but they wanted us to keep coming in with other people. You know, come in for a morning, oh. just sit with other people because we've got to make this panel work. And we did until Len got really, oh, I've got this job, I'm not coming back, I've got my teaching to do. So then it was just me. And when it was just me, <sighs> I discovered that Bruno, 
who was now with my agent, um, had actually wanted an audition and they asked him just to film something of himself and they didn't, they didn't want him. And Michael said, darling, 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 will you do me a favour? I'll never ask this of you again. Will you go into the TV studio with Bruno? Because you've got so much history, so many stories to tell, and they'll see Bruno as he really is. They, they've not seen Bruno. They've not seen what he does. So I uh... said, OK, I'll do it for Bruno. And I'd been back so many times. And then I did. And it was just Bruno and myself in a room and questions and watching people dance and everything else. And, of course, with Bruno, you know, I know where all the bodies are buried because we had become, <laughs> we'd become friends. Because when he, the first thing he did when he came to the UK is come into my class. So we'd known each other wow. and we were doing all our, you know, all our shtick. And, they, and that was Bruno. And then Craig, who I'd worked with as a dancer turned up on the day, the very, very first. We didn't even know Craig was coming until the very first day of the first show and we were introduced to Craig and he goes, hello, darling. It's good to, you know, um, <laughs> it's Craig, darling. I said, okay. And oh, that was the wow. panel. That was this wow. scattered way of putting the panel together. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Nobody knew if this was going to be a success, right? Oh. People thought it was going to bomb. Absolutely. Yeah, it was the old Strictly Come Dancing. How is that ever going to be a, a success today or as it was? Mm. And we all felt the same. On that first show, it was like, well, this was never going to happen. <laughs> Someone was talking about the genesis. I think it was the commissioner at the BBC was saying how she tried to get it off the ground. Because everyone kept saying, you know, but nobody knows these dance moves, whether they're right or wrong. Mm. How is anyone ever going to understand or relate to this? And actually what you guys did is you made, you made it about that, but you also made it about people's story, right? Mm -hmm. It was their journey, the big, mm -hmm. the big word. Um, and I remember you saying that one of the things that you wanted to do was like find if people could have I, I can't remember quite your words, but you'll be able to correct me. But, you know, like, see if someone could make a journey out of this competition, right? That was what you were looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, there was a clear line between those who 
had an ability to dance, although not dancers. I mean, they really weren't dancers. A couple of them had danced before. Whether they could complete a journey and whether anyone who really was a complete and utter non-dancer had the ability every week by having the best training build up the confidence to think of themselves as dancers. And it Mm. really became the interesting thing, which it is still today, it really became a competition with those who really could dance or learn to dance and those the public loved because they made utter, total mess on the dance floor. But the public forgave them everything. They loved everything they did and they loved to see them try. And that happened really when you had Natasha Kaplinsky, so beautiful, and then others, you know, looking like a bat is running around the floor, you know, all over the place. (laughs) The common denominator of all of them is that they are, without fear, giving it a go, right? Oh, And that's what's beautiful about it, because we all are too shy to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you can see the shy ones. You can see Mm. even someone who danced as beautifully, let's say, as Rachel Stevens. I mean, she was Mm. such a beautiful dancer, but so lacking in confidence that somehow that doesn't appeal unless you can just show the public that you're loving what you're doing or that you're laughing at Mm. what you're doing. Unless you can reach through that home screen with your eyes and your heart... it's very hard to win. People have to fall in love with you. Yeah. I mean, listen, over the weekend, I fell in love with what's Jake Goody's son called? Oh, my gosh. Bobby. That boy has got it. Whatever it Um, is, he's got it. (laughs) He is a movie star. Firstly, you know, his whole beauty and his physique, but with this absolutely charm and warmth Twinkle. that you can't yeah. help but go, I want to take him home, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Stand in the corner. He's, yeah, he's like, uh, he reminds me, he looks like Mick Jagger and he moves yes. like Mick Jagger, but he's got this like Harry Styles affability and slight warmth yes. with a bit of Joey yeah. Essex in there yeah. somewhere or something. Yeah. Like he's got this incredible mix. It's his ease. There's no wall. He is what he is. And he gives you everything of himself. No barriers. Yeah, and that, How can you such a skill, him? people who can do that. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's such a rare thing to be able to do that. But Arlene, I want to transport you back to the beginning because it's an incredible life. But tell me about growing up and the first time you saw dance, heard about it. Was there a moment that clicked? What happened? I came from a very, very, very poor family. You know, in this life, there's haves and have-nots. And Mm. we were certainly the have-nots. My father Mm. wasn't a well man. And I would say both mentally and physically, his mother died not long after he had been born. And the Mm. archetypal wicked stepmother came in who by the time he was 12 
abandon him to go and work in a barbershop to be articled to uh, a barbershop where he could stay and work. And so he was sort of cast out of the house and he met my mum, a very, very gentle and very sweet, sweet, kind woman um, and a wonderful mother. And I don't know whether she fell in love with him, but she certainly felt sorry for him and they were together and they married and there were three of us. Um, my father had blood clots. He was always unwell um, and he was a barber. And my mum mm. would go out to work and so it, it was very, very difficult, you know, growing up. Um, all the things I wanted, I couldn't have. And the, the love of dance came from, we had an old gramophone and my parents always played records on it. And it was always Tchaikovsky, Prokofiev. It was all of the big classical ballets, you know, films, music from, or musicals. And so apparently I was dancing since I was small. And when I wanted to go oh. to my dance lessons, I wanted to learn to dance. That wasn't affordable until an uncle came along and agreed to pay for dance lessons. And my parents would take us to see dance when they could. And they took us to the Free Trade Hall in Manchester, where there was a Russian dance company. And I remember mm. arriving, they took all three of us, back, back, back in the Free Trade Hall, in the back of the gods. But I was looking down on dance, but getting in, because there were all the pickets, communists go home. And my parents, I can remember them wrapping their arms around the three of us to get us into the free trade hall and seeing the really? most incredible i mean one of the the most famous of all russian ballerinas performed wow. galina yelanova and and that was it for me that moment was it that's what i was going to do i was going to be a ballerina and i lived my classes i lived to be in a dance studio i lived to dance because that was my escape Life may be mm -hmm. harsh in a two up, two down with the bomb site opposite and not and very little. But in this mm. world of dance with the music and the movement, that's what I was going to do. And wow. I continued to study uh, once a week. I wanted to do more classes. And honestly, my sister, who by then had also wanted to do a dance class, gave up her dance class so I could do it two a week because she said I loved wow. it more than her. I know. Can you imagine how much I love my sister? And, That's really and, kind. And then my mum passed away when I was 15, when I fully, fully so wanted sorry. to go to a dance school in London. I wanted to audition. That's what my friends were doing, at least having the opportunity to audition. But I couldn't. I couldn't leave Manchester. When my mum died, which was very suddenly of leukaemia, my dad really mm. went to pieces and got very sick. My brother left school to go out to work to support us. My sister was 12, almost wow. 13 at the time, so I had to stay home. And I didn't, I didn't go into school very much. And by the time it was time to go back, when I was 16 and I realised I'd have to go back, 
I couldn't face it and I wanted to go to full-time dance school. And because I couldn't mm. go to London, I wanted to find a way to go to the school that I was at, had a full-time course, a four-year course that taught every form of dance. And how was I going to get the money? You know, nobody was interested. And I spoke to, my mum was one of actually 11, the youngest of 11 children, and the auntie next to her, my one-up auntie, was the one that looked after her. And I talked to her and she said, well, Let's find out if you can go and get a grant to go to a dance school. So we went to the Manchester County Council, to a big building in Albert Square, got an appointment and we went in and I asked the question with her there by my side, if I had got into the Royal Ballet, you would have paid all my fees and a living allowance. So is it possible that I could go to my dance school as a full-time student where you would only have to pay the, the, the fees, I can live, and, wow. and why couldn't that happen? Anyway, they must have felt sorry for me because I got a grant and I was the first person in Manchester to get a grant wow. in Manchester to study dance. So then it's, I spent four years, yeah, four years studying dance, indulging my passion, and then continued as a dance teacher in Manchester until one day my life changed. In one day. God. It's an incredible story, really. My dance teacher wanted to send me to London for one week in the holidays, the headmistress, to go to this new place that had opened in Floral Street in Covent Garden called the Dance Centre, where for the first time uh -huh. in history, you could go in like Pineapple is today and pay for a class. Mm -hmm. Before, all classes, of the, you, when you wanted to study dance, you paid the whole term and that wow. was the only way. Now there was this new and very different place. So she said, go down to London, I'll pay all your expenses. I'd never been to London before. And I'll pay all your expenses, stay at the YWCA, just off Tottenham Court Road, and come back and bring all of this knowledge. So I went into a class. The, the place was pretty run down. It was still being built when I, I went because it was pretty newly open. And mm. I saw it said, Modern American Jazz, Molly Malloy. I walked into mm -hmm. that class, the most beautiful, beautiful movement, the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And my breath was like, I have to do this. I, I, this has got to be my life. Wow. And I saw after the class, I paid my money and I saw everyone sitting around Molly at a table with a, a jug of Kona coffee and a few cups around and everybody drinking coffee. And I thought, I'm just going to sit down and, and say hello like everybody else has. And I sat <laughs> I down and Molly spoke to me and she said, did you enjoy class? I said, I, I loved every second. It's, it's the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced. And she said, I've, I haven't had a student who's adapted so easily to the style. Where did you train? We got talking and then um, I said, oh, my God, I want to do this every day. And she said, I will give you a scholarship to study with me <laughs> because I want to, you know, this style, my style to grow and I said, oh, that's great. And I said, but I can't. I live in Manchester. I've got to go back. I'm only here on a, a short time and I'm teaching. 
And she said to me, oh, what do you need to stay? I said, well, a job, money, a place to live. And she said, are you prepared to work for that? I said, of course I am. She said, well, I've got a really good friend and what he's looking for is someone to babysit, a bit of cleaning, you can live in and you will get paid. And his name was Ridley Scott. I love it. God. And that's what I did. I got a job. Wow. I spoke to my my dad at the time. You know, it was unheard of I wasn't coming back. Yeah. But I knew if I went back, honestly... Chris, if I'd have gone back, I would have never left again. I would never have had the courage. I had to stay. I had to do it from a distance. And I told Miss Tweedy, I will pay you back every penny. I promise you, you just have to give me some time. And I want to hand in my notice. And that's what I did. I stayed and studied with Molly Malloy and living at Ridley's. Uh, That's the end of part one. Lovely chat with Arlene Phillips. More beautiful stuff in part two. Go find it on the feed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Powered by Spirit Studios.